all it's not perfect anymore. It's it's, it's cracked and everything. And so yeah, that's that's true. So bring the King Sunday, and those are all good points of discussion. So the information should bring a transformation. The warning sign on the road that says speed limit is reducing should transform and change the way you're driving and behaving. It should, doesn't always, but it should. And then um, we are without excuse if we are called to accountability by that point, that officer of enforcement, right? So there's information that God brings to us. And that information should bring about a transformation in our behavior, right? Um, obviously, we're all here today because we have some information. There's a reason why you're not all still in bed, right? Or, you know, hung over or strung out on drugs, you know? There's, there's, a whole, there's a whole host of reasons why you're not in these other places and why you are here right now. And it is the information that has brought a transformation in your behavior that's put you where you are right now. So how are we to live? How are we to act? what we choose and what we do. Now, information about, this is, you know, bring the king Sunday. This is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. There's a lot of ways you can describe it. This is the Messiah approaching Jerusalem. Um, And there was information regarding this day. This day of visitation is how Luke calls it, the, the visitation. And there was information about this approaching king that these people had, they did not fully all recognize. They didn't fully understand. They were still held and, may, and were accountable for that behavior, their choices. Now, we today reflect and look back at that day where Jesus came in on the donkey as the king, King Jesus. So that's a, a point of remembrance for us. For us today as we live we are looking forward to the second advent, the second coming of the king when he comes back again. And again, not on a donkey this time, but on a horse. Now, that information about the second coming of Jesus should bring about a transformation in our behavior. It should change the way we're living. And then let me just say this as we go through these verses today in Luke 19, the triumphal entry. If we get together, and we are studying the Bible, and we are not finding ways to look at that scripture and apply it to our lives and reform us and our behavior and our choices, we're wasting our time. Because all we're doing is participating in a historical lecture about ancient religions and people. And that is not the point of us being here today. If, if that's how that's going, then we're not doing it right. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be interacting with your heart right now pricking your heart, revealing things to you about yourself and your behavior, your choices, which should then lead you to modify future behavior and choices. And maybe in some cases, go back to some people you've hurt and offended and say, wow, I messed that up. And I didn't realize it at the time. And it was a bad choice. And I am truly sorry for that. Please forgive me. I'm going to try and do better next time. There should be some transformation going on here. And the Holy Spirit should be doing that. So as we go into this, I want you to, as we read these verses, I want you to think about ways to apply it to your life to today and going forward and to make some changes in what you're doing. And Mr. Roy has got his big print Bible today and he's turned to Luke and we're going to break this up in little small bites. Okay. So if you've got it, Luke 19, that'd be great. We're going to start. We're going to do Luke 19. We're going to do verses. um, Just read verse 31 to start with Mr. Roy, Luke 31, by 19 verse 31. And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thou shalt say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. Now, this is a story about the disciples came to Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. You should have started at 20, you started at 28. You started at 31, didn't you? Yeah, you said I, Yeah, you, you, got, you got to look past. You got to look past what I say and know what I mean. All right. Go, go 28 to 31. Please forgive me. 28 to 31. It'll make more sense now. Okay. 28 to 31. And when he had thus spoken... He went before ascending, ascending to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethlehem and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, wherein yet never man sat, loose him, and bring him thither. 
And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. So this is a preparation. Jesus has an appointment in Jerusalem and he needs a, a, mean of trans, a means of transport. There's a lot of stuff going on here. I'll try to be quick as I can. You didn't ride an animal into Jerusalem. As by tradition, as a point of respect for the city of Jerusalem itself, the holy city, you walked, you led your animal into Jerusalem. So this is unusual in a lot of ways. All right. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Now, I want to apply these little pieces of verses to you. Look at verse 31. It says this, because the Lord has need of it. Now, I want you to think about your life. Luke chapter 19, verse 31. What part of your life is bound up and held back right now? And you need to let it loose for the work of the king. The Lord has need of it. I promise you there is some part of you right now that needs to be untied, unbound, and released to the work and the service of the king. All right. Who else would like to read? I want to do 32 through 34. This will go a lot quicker than I'm expecting. Yes, Miss Susie. You said who wants to read? Yes. <laughs> Luke 19, 32 through 34. Those who were sent again went and found it just as he had told them as they were untying the colt. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. Shrew their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Is that it? 34? No, we started at 34. 32 to 34. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. So I want you, too much Bible in this Bible study. Yeah. So look back at verse 33, and there's a question, right? This is, these two people walk up. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but two disciples. They're not even named. All right, which is good for us. So we can't say, I'm not Peter. I'm not James. I'm not John. This is any, this could have been anybody. Could have been one of the 12, could have been 120. It's just two disciples. Hey, you two, go do this for me. And they listen, they follow the commands. And as they approach, they get this colt and they start untying it. And whoa, 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 what you doing with my animals? Oh, well, the Lord has needed this. Oh, okay. All right, we'll bring it back. Now, why are you loosening my colt? Now, listen, when you begin to redirect your life, when you take some of those things that you've held back from God in the past and you unbind them and you unloosen them and you start using them for the work of the king, somebody in your life will come to you and say, what are you doing? This makes no sense because it doesn't make worldly sense. It makes kingdom sense. It makes godly sense because the Lord has pricked your heart and said, here's an area where you can improve and you can give and you can work and you can do. And somebody's going to come to you and say, why are you doing that? It's just going to happen. All right. Now, how should you respond to them? Verse 34 is your answer. What did they say to the man when he said, why are you doing that? What did they say? The Lord has need of him. Yeah, this is something God needs. And so when that person, when you have made that decision to change the way you're behaving and you're going to release something in you to God for his service and bringing the king out, somebody's going to say, what are you doing? And you're going to say, God needs it. And that's going to be your answer because that's the model. That's the pattern we're seeing here. So there's your principle. The Lord has need of you to complete his mission to bring the king to someone. We are not saved for ourselves. We are saved for others. We're not saved by ourselves. We're saved by Jesus. Our salvation is not for us. It's for others. All right. We aren't just saved as a solo one, one island, one man show. There's a lot more going on here. Now, you read through 35 and 36? 34. Very good. So in verse 34, we have, and 35 through 36, we have another application. We give from ourself for the presentation of the king to the unknowing world. Okay? So when the donkey is presented, the man has released it, and he's there, 
the people, it says, and they threw their clothes on the colt. All right. Now, where do you think these people got their clothes? Was it laundry day in Jerusalem? Everybody's walking around with baskets full of clothes. Hey, I got the towels. Hold on. I got a blanket. Where are they getting these clothes from? Didn't they have like two or three layers? They would have layers. So they didn't probably have baskets of, of laundry walking around, right? It was something they were giving for themselves. So there is something you have right now that you can release, that you can give, that you can help in the preparation of the presentation of the king to somebody else. Now, I don't know if you're going to have to take your coat off today and give it to somebody to help them understand who Jesus is. Maybe you will. Maybe it isn't going to be that simple. But there's something that you need to do in giving from yourself to prepare the pathway for King Jesus into someone else's life. Now, in verse 36, they spread their own clothes on the road. Now, I don't want to be too disgusting here. But you know what the roads were like at this time in history. All right, so this is a city, so, you know, they're, they're maybe not all dirt and mud. Maybe there's some stone there because they're in a big city, so maybe there's some Roman roads there. But even if there are Roman roads there, there's a lot of animal refuse there. Dung. People refuse. Sanitation was not the top priority at this time in history. And so you know what they're doing? They're taking that thing that belongs to them, that's part of their own, they're giving it for the presentation of advancing the pathway of the king to somebody else's life, and it's getting pushed down into refuse. So what you give might not come back to you the way you gave it. But it's a point of obedience for you to do it, to give it, all right? Now, we are all personally engaged in the work of the pathway for Jesus in the lives of others. Now, I want, there's a point of learning for us, okay? And this will be in your notes. You don't have to turn there. In Leviticus 23.40, establishes that if the king is coming to visit your city and he is approaching you on a donkey, the king is coming in peace. It's a royal visit, but it's a happy royal visit, okay? Now, in Revelation 19.11, if the king is coming to see you and he's approaching you, and he is on a horse, he is coming in war. I did not know that. Now, two advents, one Messiah. The first advent, we have the suffering servant. We have the sacrificial giver, the one who saves, right? Now, the second advent, the second coming, it's in great detail in Revelation 19. And it is an awesome, trembling picture written in words. And this is a king. He's arrayed for battle. He has a sword. He is ready to go. I mean, if I could put it in modern language, he's on a Harley. He's all in black leather. He's tattooed up and he's mad because you've been messing with his woman. And he's coming to get that right. And I mean, if you read the text, he is tattooed up. I mean, it says he's got names written all over him and you don't even know what they are. Nobody knows but him what those names are. Someone says King of Kings and Lord of Lords and it's written on him. So I don't know if that's a tattoo or what that is, but he's got it. It's written there. And everybody, and he's like crowned with king, crowns upon crowns upon crowns. So you know, authority and power. And he's coming to wage war and he's got the host of the army of heaven with him on flying white horses. I mean, could it get more intimidating? There'll be no confusion about <laughs> no confusion there. Now, let me give you a principle, okay? Because this is a that, that, that juxtaposition can be a little unnerving, right? So here's here's one for you. If you are participating in the preparation of the pathway for the King Jesus, the peaceful King Jesus, you will have no worries on the day when the warrior King Jesus approaches on a horse because you will have been doing what the master had asked his servants to do. So you'll have no point of issue with that at all. All right. Now there's a, I want to throw, there's a point of prophecy in your, about this section. It's in your notes. I'm going to hit it very briefly about the second advent. It involves the Eastern gate of Jerusalem. Um, in the 1500s, there was a Muslim ruler in Jerusalem that became aware 
of a prophecy in the Old Testament that Messiah one day will come from the Mount of Olives and into the city of Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. And um, he said, well, I can stop that. Get the bricks and the mortar. And they closed the gate up. It's still walled up today. It's even walled up today. Um, And he went even further. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll go one more than that. Let's build a cemetery right in front of that gate. They built a Muslim cemetery right in front of that gate. So he's doing, he's like doing double steps to keep Messiah, Messiah from coming through that gate. And here's the interesting part. When you go through history, different rulers of the city have tried to open that gate again through legal means. They've gone through a petition and permit, got permission. In one case I heard about, they had permission to open the gate and they had everybody assembled. The Masons and everything were assembled to go and begin the demo to open the gate. Six day war broke out. Gate still sealed. So you can look at that in your notes and read about that. It's in Zechariah, and um, we don't have to go into that right now. And I would just say this, your interpretation of these verses can bear. You don't have to agree with this thing. I would say this, that the, it's interesting that this Muslim who does not believe in the deity of Jesus or in the Jewish Messiah was so convinced of the prophecies, he took physical action to try and prevent it. But you can, you can dice that one out for yourself, and it doesn't matter. Everybody's different about that the greater point of ponderance is that is this that the king is returning and he's coming in war all right so god reveals himself he explains his expectations to us he notes the consequences and then from our study last week in matthew 25 the three parables it's a sudden and unexpected approach and he brings justice with him justice for our choices now there's a deep truth here jesus jesus is the only shield that we have against the justice that we deserve from God. He's the only shield we have. Now, because Jesus took our punishment, he took our justice. And so we receive his righteousness because of that. Now, in verses 37 through 38, who would read those two verses again? And we'll pick back up on some more of this. He came near Jerusalem at the place where the road went down and went to the Mount of Olives. A large crowd of his disciples began to thank God and praise him in loud voices for all the great things that they had, that they had seen. Uh, God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd spoke to Jesus. Teacher, they said, command his disciples to be quiet. <coughs> Jesus answered, I tell you uh, that if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will start shouting. The stones, the rocks themselves will cry out. If you ever are in Israel, and I've never been, but I've been told if you go there and you're at the Mount of Olives and you're descending down this road that Jesus took to go into the city of Jerusalem this day, the cheapest souvenir you'll ever have is reach down on the road and grab some rocks and put them in your pocket, come back home put them in a glass display box and put them on the wall. And people will come to your house and like, what, what, what's up with these rocks? Oh, oh, those are the rocks that didn't cry out. What? But the day Jesus rode in Jerusalem, these are the rocks that didn't cry out. I got some of them right here. So, yeah. When you, that, when you are there, uh, to give you a visual, if you can, Bethany, Bethpage, and, and Bethlehem are up here. It's about three miles to Jerusalem. That's all. And you go down through the Kidron Valley. And if you were to stand up here, you just look across the valley, there's the city. I mean, it's... it's yeah, but aren't there... Uh, so, uh, graves there? Oh, yeah. 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 You, but you, you, you can see in and, and, and Holy Week, he's going to make this trip about three nights, three times in the night. He's going to go back in, then he's going to back up and back in. And then they're going to finally come get him in the garden up here. But you can see it's just a valley. To this day, it's still a valley. You go down maybe 500 feet, and then you have to start rising back up. And there's trails. You can go there. And, of course, now cities are built up, so there's roads and things. But they wouldn't have been there. He'd have just gone down this thing, come up as he walks up back up the valley to the walls to work his way around to get to the eastern gate and come in. So you, you can see it very easily yeah, I see where he, he probably went, right down into the Kidron Valley and back up, and the field of Ruth is off to the right. But it's a very short 
I mean, it's not like six miles. It's it's like a mile and a half, two miles. And that also speaks to something we'll get into later, is is the close proximity proximity of Bethlehem to Jerusalem when the Magi come and they say he was born. Where was he born? Born in Bethlehem. And these people could not send a party of investigators from the temple three to six miles away to say, hey, any babies been born here lately? What was the circumstance of that child's birth? They couldn't send anybody to ask those simple questions. Now, just know this. In these verses, this is the only time in the ministry of Jesus where Jesus allows himself, embraces the idea, and allows himself to be declared as king. Now, it happens over and over again, and there's some places in your notes. I'm not going to read them, but John uh, 6.15, Matthew 14.22, John 7.30. These are places where the crowd was assembled and he was teaching. And they said, this is it. He's the Messiah. He's the king. Let's do it. Come on. Let's grab it. Let's go. He goes away. He walks between them. He vanishes. He disappears. He was not allowing himself to be crowned king yet, even though he is the king. Now, likewise, there are a lot of places in his ministry where they sought to kill Jesus over and over again. Now, he came to die, right? sacrifice for our sins. However, there's a point in time. There's a place in history that God has established for these events to take place, and they cannot go ahead of schedule or behind schedule. And those are in your notes as well. Um, I'm just going to cite these. So it's Luke uh, 4, 16 through 30, um, John 8, 49 to 59, John 8, 56 through 59, Mark 11, Luke 19, I mean, just on and on and on and on. They're all in your notes, okay? There's like six or eight of them, different times where they tried to kill him ahead of schedule. Now, the principle for us here is that God has a schedule. And most of the time, our schedule is the same. No, our schedule and God's schedule are usually quite different, quite different. So God is the master. He's the master designer, the master planner. He has the master plan. He has the master clock. And he, yes, sir. Concerning schedule, a, a lot of times when we want something done, we think this, well, I sense that this is God's schedule. But when it doesn't turn out right, uh, we miss God's schedule. And this is a, something that we all live with. I hear people saying all the time, this is what the Lord wants now. You know, and you're not too sure. Uh, Fred Denham said years and years ago, that he had a word from the Lord that Jesus was coming. This was back in 1905, say, or to, uh, 205. They said the Lord is coming in September of 2011. And so all the people in his congregation were, this is the Lord's schedule. Well, he didn't come back in 2011. He didn't come back for them yeah. and left us here? So you know, oh. we need we people that search the Lord and, and yeah yeah well so yeah and that's a, that's the danger because jesus very clearly says in um all three all four gospels that no man knows the day nor the hour so anytime we um we can sense the season the bible is very clear about that we can sense the season god uh, jesus clearly gave us the signs for the season of his return but he said don't think you know the day i'm coming back the day or the hour don't think you got that one down because you don't um, so as just as the people in Jerusalem at this time should have been cognizant of what was happening around them, they should have been aware of what was taking place because they were going to be held accountable for it. We, because of where we are today, we have far more information than these people did. We have uh, at our fingertips, unbelievable amounts of information, um, at our fingertips, and we should be thoroughly aware of where we are in the time clock that God has set up for all of time. Now, there's a point of ponderance to think about this. Is it significant that the people of Jerusalem did not identify Jesus as Messiah and embrace him as their king, accept his message of forgiveness, and receive Jesus as the king? Is it significant? And if it is, how significant is it? I think it's pretty significant that um, that you know <clears throat> that they should have, and 
with all the evidence there, but their eyes, you know, didn't see and their ears didn't hear. Yeah. And stuff. But I heard a commentary one time say when Jesus was was riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, people looked at Jesus as the Jesus they wanted. The king, kick out the Romans, establish your kingdom here on earth. So Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. Three days later, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. Well, that was the Jesus they needed. And when you have the Jesus you need, there's some responsibilities coming around and stuff. But when they when they saw the Jesus that they wanted him to be, then they could you know celebrate and, and, and all like that. But there'd be you know, all of us are held accountable whether we believe in him or not. Yeah, there's a point of accountability for all of us. And that's very important that the Jesus you need and the Jesus we want. So I think it is highly significant. Um, and I think one of the reasons is because of a 600-year-old prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, and in Zechariah chapter 9, and they completely missed what was being said in those prophecies. Uh, the prophecy of Daniel, uh, the angel Gabriel appears to him and says that when the order goes forth to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem, at that point, time will begin, Well, a clock, a stopwatch, a countdown will start. And there will be 69 uh, periods of time, seven years each. Sir Robert Anderson in the 1800s of Scotland Yard received his knighthood from Queen Victoria for going back and historically doing the math. He went back and took the calendar based on a, a 360 day year and started doing the math because we know on uh, March 14th and 453 BC, Artaxerxes of Longinus made the order and gave it to Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and rebuild not just the temple, but the walls of the city. And when you begin counting from that day forward in those increments of 360 days for 69 periods, uh, seven years each, the Shabuas, you end up coming right here on the very day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the very day. So there was no excuse for these people not to know. God had made it as clear as he could. The angel Gabriel is the messenger angel. Every time we see him in scripture, he's bringing some message about Messiah to some person. He shows up with Mary, Joseph. He shows up here with Daniel. That's his job. He, he's, always, he's always doing that. And they had no excuse. There's, let me ask you this. If you think about this, the Magi, when they came, the kings of the East, the wise men, how would they have known to come to Jerusalem and look for a Jewish king? How would they have known to bring frankincense, the instrument of a priest, to bring myrrh, the instrument of death for embalming someone who dies, and gold for a king? They brought those three very specific gifts because I believe they had learned from Daniel and this prophecy who Jehovah was because Daniel was faithful in times of great uh, persecution to him, socially, religiously, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The forces that were gathered against these Jews in Babylon was unbelievable, and they remained faithful in those times to who God was. There's a lesson for us in that as well. We certainly are in, in a cauldron now as our culture and society turns against God, and, there, and we are and people are getting punished for what they say and believe out in public about God and the way people should live or not live or do and not do. We should be faithful like they are. Now, because of the faithfulness of Daniel, there's a couple things. Daniel and Joseph, I believe, are the only two characters in the Old Testament that have no sin recorded in Scripture. Now, it doesn't mean they were sinless because they weren't. They were people. But it says something about their character and their relationship with God. Daniel in the Old Testament is considered to be the beloved of God. Now, when you and I are friends of God and close to God, he wants to bring us in to the inner circle. If you think about Jesus and the 12 disciples, he always had those three or four, Peter, James, John, Andrew. He would call them out and say, okay, y'all come with me. We got to go over here and do something. And he would call them out and there would be a private briefing like Matthew 24, Mark 13, where these, he said, I'm going to give you all some information everybody else doesn't get because you are my friend. 
I have called you friend. Abraham was a friend of God because he was a friend of God. Abraham received inside information. When they came and visited and revealed that his wife was going to have a baby, that's some inside information. He also says, should I tell him where you two boys are going? I think we should tell Abraham what we're doing. We're going over to Sodom and we're going to just, just bad over there. The, the reports have come up to my ears and I'm going to go look at it for myself, but it's not looking good for Sodom. He had inside information because when you are a friend of God, you get inside information. Now, that also comes with responsibility to show up and do something. Now, I want to take you back to these verses, and I'm going to give you the Matthew Collins translation of verse 39. The this is, and this is strict Greek right here, okay? The Pharisees show up, and they're saying this. They're saying, make them stop. They can't call you king. That would make you the Messiah. And we're already decided you're not the Messiah. We are the arbiters of what's right and wrong around here. And we're the religious elite and you are no God. And you're certainly not Messiah. So make them stop saying this right now. So we can always count on the Pharisees. Because anytime there's some deep truth that's being displayed in scripture, and it's kind of woo going right past the cell, put the brakes on and say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 you can't do that. And they stop and it makes us reflect. Now, let me give you Jesus's Matthew Collins translation of verse 30. Jesus is saying this. You don't understand. You don't get it. This moment, this place in history where we are right now, this day, this is the culmination of everything. This is the moment that everything has been leading up to. From before the foundation of the world, the first sacrifice of shedding of blood in the garden to forgive the sins of Adam and Eve and everything that was done in the Old Testament reflecting to me from the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham to Jonah and the whale for three days. To me, this is the day the Lord has made. This isn't just any old day. This is the day Gabriel told Daniel was going to be coming around. This is that day. And if these people weren't doing what they're doing right now, These rocks, this inanimate stuff on the ground in the presence of its creator would become animated and scream out who I am. That's my translation of what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. In fact, that's the thing. I know we sing that song. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made that the Lord. No, Scott, pull pull the needle. No, this is, that is not the day the Lord has made. Today is not the day the Lord has made. That verse is talking very specifically about this day, the day that the King Messiah is presented to the world. That's the day that verse is talking about. Now, we obviously can still sing that song, but just understand that. It's not just any old day. This is the day of presentation for the Messiah, the Prince, is how Daniel is given the words in Daniel 9, 25, and 26, the Mashiach Nagid. This is very important. And furthermore, it says this, that when the the weeks are completed, the Messiah will be cut off. Now, if you're a Hebrew studying the Old Testament, (laughs) Daniel, you misheard. (laughs) Gabriel, you got it wrong. No, the Messiah lives forever. He doesn't get cut off. What's that word cut off mean? Oh, that's a Hebrew word, karata. What's that mean? Oh, that means you execute somebody. You execute somebody? They mean they didn't get like a cold and die? No, he didn't fall off a bridge. No, he was executed. Oh, like the mob got him like a like a hit job. Right. No, no, no. It's a capital execution for a a crime. And furthermore, though, Gabriel says he's going to be executed by our government, capital punishment for crimes he did not commit. This is the day the Lord has made and they were told what was going to happen The expectations could not have been any more clear if they'd been willing to hear them and listen and heed them. The culmination of everything. There's a whole list of verses that are in your notes. I'm I'm not going to get into them, but it's that they're all there. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. All that's there. Yes. What you're saying is true. Of course. But they didn't have the communication or this stuff at that time. What about those individuals? You know, they live out in the country and you know what happens to them? What, 
what happens to them? Like we ask, what happens to those in the deepest parts of Africa who, who have never heard the message of the gospel? Mm-hmm. What about, you know, the, the just a, I think probably the vast majority of Israel uh, uh, have not heard of this sure what you got on what you're saying because you, i mean you made a good point this is the day this day in the fullness of time god sent his son i've always thought about why then i don't know because god in the fullness of time when he was ready he sent his son to do what he had proclaimed this is the day the Lord has made, but for the guy on the desert island with no Bible, no books, no nothing, the Holy Spirit can go to him and open up his eyes. And this is the day the Lord has made for you. It becomes your celebration day. And you're you're talking about some things today where we look back to the cross and forward to the second coming. We are living into that was the day for me. I, for me, I have a, a night that I know about, and I can always say, that was the day, the night my eyes got open. That was the day. And now because of that day, this is the day. Because my eyes are still open and I'm still walking in that faith. And so I'm, I, I, when you opened up today, I heard a therefore and a therefore. And in scripture, you always ask, what's the therefore? Because of the cross, I look backwards and say, therefore, do this, live like this. He's coming again. Therefore, be sober and watch and and wait because of this is coming and this is coming. That then applies. I know you're probably getting to that. But that day, this is the day. Probably not for anybody in this room because we're all saved. But, but, But maybe this would be the day that the light came on and what was done 2000 years ago now makes sense. And you'll learn about, and also he's coming back again. And really, I I just got the fact that I needed him and I fell before him and I gave my life to him. This day becomes the day. So that, Mm -hmm. so we can sing. And that, and that becomes the day that the king, that becomes the day the king, that becomes the day the king comes to you. Let me speak to you. Yeah, let me let me speak to you. Let me speak to your question, Pastor D. So also beyond what you're saying, consider these factors. How few people could read and write in that day? How many people were getting fed bad prophetic information from the people in charge of their synagogues who were completely missing everything about the law, God's expectations? There's a lot of stuff. Now, let me bring you to uh, culture at the time. Everybody was aware of who was their overlord, the Roman authorities. The Empire of Rome was a, a, a boot, or in this case, I guess, a sandal on their neck, right? With a sword at their throat. And they all felt that through taxation, oppression, rape, beating up. They could just as soon kill you as look at you. And they could get away with it. They're Romans. Brutal. I mean, you should look at what Daniel's description of the Roman Empire is in his prophecies. It's this, this beast with teeth of iron that's just chewing up everything. Something like never been seen before in history of the world. It's the military might of it. It's just always just, just frightening. So, so all that was going on. So because all that's going on, they are looking for a rescuer. They are looking for someone to liberate them. Now, they may not all be zealots like Simon out there, you know, staging raids, trying to kill Roman authorities and magistrates and stuff like that. But they all have that yearning in their heart to be free, to get these Romans out of here. Can we please just get back to having our own country again? That's in their hearts. So I think that because of that, there would be this this desire that when they hear the chatter at the at the well about this prophet from Galilee, who's he said this guy had leprosy and he got healed. Well, that's weird. What do the authorities say about that? Yes, you have a question. Uh, I'm still not answering my question. Oh, asking him to expand on the guy on the island. The Holy Spirit (coughs) makes this day. Well, wait a day. The Holy Spirit does it. But does that mean we can just sit back and not go to this island that has never heard no. of Jesus? Wait a second. They've never heard of Jesus and just simply say, well, Holy Spirit will. 
do that. If that's the case, then we could just sit back. We could, except for I must be about my father's business. And he told me, go and tell and preach and do. And therefore I say, but Lord, it's all. So what are you questioning me for? I said, go and do and teach and preach. I said, but you're the, I told you, quit asking me questions and just go do what I said, do. The only reason I go teach, the only reason I preach, the only reason I go do anything is because he told me to. And I do what my father says. Mary. And so I go do it. And I don't have a clue whether his Holy Spirit is going to open up their eyes or not. Just an action in obedience. Yes, Mary. I have my answer. I have a Native American friend who I'm doing herbs, weeds, which I'll call out in here. And she said before the medical doctors came, people who lived out, you know, the Native Americans knew what herb to eat for what ailment. They got it from their spirit. And she says, it's now it's God. But it was a knowing that if someone was sick, they just sat there and maybe they picked this thing and ate it and it became better. God in his ultimate spirit will touch those people who have no way of knowing or been told. And about the, this is the day thing, when you said that, Back when I was 13 and really thought I found God, that was the day. When my dad died, that was the day that I only had him. As I got older in my 20s and I really found God, that was the day. When I got in my 30s, wow, I really found him. I thought I knew him. But now, I never knew him like I know him now. So this is the day becomes like tomorrow may my maybe my this is today when he his anointing just pours out on you there's your new day mm -hmm. there's a when information comes to us we have an accountability that follows it you had something i think it's like the if the jew like the jewish people that weren't that didn't go to the triumphal entry it's like Whenever you're going to get on a plane, there's multiple boarding calls. You don't necessarily have to hear the last boarding call if you already know you're supposed to be getting on the plane. It's the same thing. Like Jesus gave multiple boarding calls to all of the Jewish people. You didn't necessarily have to hear the final boarding call to know that you're supposed to get on the plane. That's a good point. I like that. So... I'm going to, we're running out of time, so I'm going to take you right to the end. And um, Jesus begins to weep in the next verses. And it's really unusual when you look at the context. This should not be a point of weeping if we're looking at it through the lens of humanity. This should be a point of celebration and triumph. Thousands of years have passed. Multiple lives have been lived in obedience to follow the plan of God, to bring all this stuff about to right now. And yet Jesus begins to weep. And the reason he's weeping is because the people of Jerusalem did not know the time of their visitation. That's what Luke says. That's the phrase he uses, the time of their visitation. And we should know the time of our visitation. Now, we each have a, a moment where we're going to visit Jesus for eternity. He's either going to come back for us to take us with him individually in death or collectively as a church body. It's going to happen. There's a moment at that point of visitation is coming. So are you aware of your personal prophetic clock? Are you aware of the larger prophetic clock in the world that's going on? And let me ask you this. Are you making Jesus cry? Because you are not aware and you're not active, and you're not sharing your knowledge of God with those around you. You know, there's a point of opportunity for obedience, um, surrender, personal surrender to him, and then returning what you have received to others. We are responsible for sharing the knowledge of God that we have with others. The point of accountability for each of us will be before God, what have you done with all you know about me? That's a wealth beyond measure, the knowledge about God, the knowledge of, of history, the knowledge of the future and prophecy, the knowledge of scripture. 
those are immensely valuable. And if you're just keeping that deposited on, on reserves within yourself and you're never loaning it out or giving it away, you're not doing it right. The fullest possible life will come like this. Your opportunity for salvation, your opportunity to share your life with Jesus and with others. Because um, you need to know the time of your visitation is deadly important. We have a responsibility for that. When we share what we know about God with others, it builds us up. It provides eternal rewards for us in heaven. But more importantly, it provides somebody else with the opportunity to receive eternal life. And every time we refuse to bring God into a situation, open up Jesus into a circumstance, we're doing a disservice to God and to that person. And the the verses are in your notes. On that day of accountability for us, the Bible says it in the New Testament and the Old Testament, their blood will be on our hands. The harvest, though, is out there. The harvest is there. You have to go get it. It says to go you therefore and do this work. He will bring in the sheaves. He will do it. And my responsibility is to God. God is in charge of whether they turn or not, not me. And you and if you and if you think you are in charge of their ability to turn, you put your yourself in the place of the Holy Spirit, and and you don't—that's not your place. So when I fail to to minister this week, when I fail to pray for that person that God says pray for him, he's got a withered hand, or he's sick, or he's in in the hospital with COVID, and I don't want to go pray for him. I don't because I'm afraid he won't get healed. You see who 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 that is. When I won't even share, my friend, you're going to die. And you're going to die in your sins and go to hell. When I won't even share that because I don't want to offend him or what hurt him. It's not him that I'm worried about. It's him that says, I appointed you to go do this and you wouldn't do it. But I'll find somebody who will. But you should be doing what I told you to do and not worry about the consequences. You don't worry about whether that withered hand gets healed. You don't worry. I'm saying worry. Mm -hmm. Not that you don't care. You care like Jesus cared. He had compassion, and he prayed to the Father, and a miracle occurred. We should be about his business because he told us to do it. He says, fear God and keep his commands. Obey the Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You go do it. But Lord, he, they won't listen. But Lord, but, 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 Did you not forget? I told you, go and do. You don't have to worry about anything after that. That is quite free. Very is liberating. The liberating. results are not, the results are not up to us. They're not, they're not my results. His holy, that you didn't get saved because you intellectually finally figured God out. I'm going to tell you that. You didn't just day, one day go, you know what? It all makes sense now. The Holy Spirit revealed something to you. Your eyes were open. And then the worst thing that could happen, and multiple times. And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we go, he healed my hand. He healed my hand. This is what God does. He heals everybody's hands. I got to go find all people with withered hands because he's shown me how to unwither withered hands. <laughs> no, yeah. but same thing. He has now shown me, I got to go preach to everybody who's never had their eyes open that Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross and they'll all get their hands. Their, see, I said their hands, their eyes open. You don't know that. Well, then what should I do? Nothing. Sit here. Like leave the guy on the desert island. Well, how did you even know there was a guy? I heard about a guy. Did the Lord tell you to go? You better get on your boat and paddle over there then. Yeah. I don't need to do that. He can do that. Yeah, but he told you to go do that. You should get over there. And that's the guy at work, the guy at school, the guy at play, the guy at business, the guy at the grocery store. Whoever God leads to you, you have a responsibility, not to them per se, to him. And then you just go, 
just a good life, Lord. Just doing what you yeah, say. Because the, the results are not ours. The results yeah. are his. The Lord is always the one who does the work. We bring the wood. We bring whatever needs to be brought. And he does the work. Yeah. Uh, last week, I got a telephone call from Frankie Tracy. I wasn't home. And he left his number. Frankie Tracy. I don't know Frankie Tracy. I called him up. Uh, and said, Bobby, uh, this is Frankie Tracy from Jersey City. So he's sitting in New Jersey and he said, I want to let you know, I haven't seen him in 60 years, probably a little more than 60 years. Uh, he said, I, I've come to know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, and uh, I uh, wanted to let you know. Now, he has two brothers, Wowo and Edgy, the Polish names, because he's the Pope, Polish names. And he says, I said, what about Wowo and Edgy? And he said, well, I'm not sure about them, but I'm going to let them know uh, that's Walter and Edward. That's the name in, in uh, English. And so we don't know what the results are going to be. The Lord does, and we just need to be his vehicle. Uh, that doesn't answer my question, though. Uh, but I don't want to discuss it anymore. <laughs> Are there people who have never heard of Jesus? Never. Um, what happens to them? I, I don't want to. All right. Well, we're not, I'll, give the, I'll give the answer off camera. How about that? I'll give you the answer. We don't know. What about those youngsters who never received Jesus? They died at two years of age. You know, God doesn't say, well, if they're under. Five. If they're over five, it's okay. A lot of unanswered questions that we have. And I think the, the answer is that's in God's hands. We just need, as Jim said, we just need to go. And we just need yeah, to so, go. So let me, let, me, let me leave you with the challenges we run over time. All right, here's your challenge. You do not have to be responsible for praying to God to find the name of a foreign country and raise money to go to to spend a week out of your life telling people in some foreign country about the gospel of who God is. All right? You don't have to do that. Here's your challenge. Tell everybody on your street who Jesus is. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> they might not like me. This might, they might, they might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not speaking in tongues. Hey, you want a mission field? Knock on the doors of people around him, around you. Say, hey, listen, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm your neighbor. I don't know who Jesus is, but we're celebrating his resurrection. I'd love for you to come be a part of it. It's a perfect opportunity. Everybody knows who, what Easter is, right? Or at least they know the name. So let's pray. Father God, be with us, please. Help us to be uh, your obedient, willing servants to take what you put in us and share it to others, to give of ourselves to others to look for those points of opportunity to share who you are, to bring you out in the open and declare who you are in the name of Jesus. Amen.